someone to rearrange my furniture on me. I had to go find a table. How we doing, everybody? Um, I, I don't understand art. Do you? Art, the thing? Go to a gallery? How many people understand art? Great. Prove my point. Um, down, I, I saw down in um, Florida at this incredible art installation gallery. What is it when you do like a, a, a gala? Um, it's called uh, Art uh, Basel down in Miami, Florida. This past year, the uncomfortable nature of art was taken to a whole new level. An artist installed a, um, a, a work of art called the ATM leaderboard. Here's how it worked. People would take their, um, credit, their, their debit card, debit only, they would put their card in this machine that was designed to capture your picture while you were using it, and then post your balance of your account next to your picture for the whole world to see. This was an art installation, and crazy enough, people actually did this thing. Now, this guy looks really like all of us, right? Like, I ain't doing that, right? Um, but, but people over the course of this art gallery actually started to see this opportunity for them to conspicuously flaunt their wealth. And um, one of the, the main questions that exists behind this art installation is the question that you and I ask of, of a lot of, uh, of ourselves. And we never say it out loud. This is the crazy thing. We never say this question out loud, but we often think it. We wonder, what do I have? What do I have and how does it compare to other people? Down at this art gallery, which by the way, uh, we have procured this device and have it waiting out in the lobby for you to try out today. The only thing is we need your permission to turn it on. Is everybody okay with this? <laughs> no, right? Right? No, that's like absolutely, that is not okay. All of us feel uncomfortable about this idea of like exposing to the world our very intimate details of our life. What I have is a private matter. In fact, many of us have been told not to talk about things I have to teach my kids right now because they're always like, Dad, how much is that person's car? Like, Guys, cool down. Be cool. That is inappropriate to ask. My son's like, yeah, so like five Xboxes or 10 Xboxes? That's his new measure of what money is. We, we ask this question all the time. What do I have? And we often judge ourselves based upon the neighbors. We wonder, they got a new car in the driveway, what do they have? You went to a brother-in-law's home this year for Christmas and it's a little different than the last home they had and you go, man, what did they have? We ask this question if you're like the Jacobsons trying to get organized, or at least I'm trying to find order of the chaos of my garage right now. And I've been weeding through all of the junk that's in my garage, and I literally am like, what? Where did this come from? What? I don't even know what I have in here. I'm finding things that have been buried, and I've only lived there for a year. What do I have? What do I have? This is, this is an important question in our lives, and, and here's why. It's because we, we try and sort out our clutter. We try and sort out our obligations. What do I have on the schedule coming up? We try and sort out our commitments. What, what do I have that I've said yes to? But ultimately, we're trying to sort out our worth. What do I have? What do you have? In the world's economy, here's how it works. Your worth what you have. 
How many people are really excited that that's not how it works with God? I am. I'm like tremendously excited that I am not worth what I have to God. And, and to prove this today, we're going to take our attention to the words of Jesus who shows us that in this world's economy, you think you're worth what you have or what you make or what position you have. But in God's economy, you are worth something completely different than just what you have. And in fact, what you have is not the measure of your worth. It's the opportunity to do something else. And so uh, I want to um, show us uh, 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 that Jesus turns this question on its head. Sets up a new habit for his followers that invites purpose and powers in, in our life in a next level way. And I want to acknowledge today, we're going to be talking about money. And I want to just put you at ease because this is not a message about money. Can you just say that back with me? This is not a message about money. It's about way more than that. We're going to talk about money because that's the main image that Jesus uses in this parable. But I, I want to show us how Jesus has a little bit more in mind than just money. He's got our resources. He's got our relationships. He's got all of our, all of our, our, our world in mind when he teaches this. But it's found in Luke chapter 19. Jesus tells a, a story to his followers. It, Luke 19 starts with the story of that really little guy named Zacchaeus that um, couldn't see Jesus because he was short. So he climbed up in a tree and then Jesus invited himself over and he introduced himself. He connected with Jesus at his table. Jesus changed him and then Jesus uh, sent him out to, as a changed person and he committed to the mission of Jesus. He, he just literally like said, I've defrauded my community. I'm going to give them back four times what I've taken from them. That's Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us in verse 11, immediately on the heels of what is happening in Zacchaeus' house where this guy has defrauded people and he's given them back money. Here's what, here's what uh, Luke tells us. While they were listening to this, Jesus' explanation about what had just happened. He went on to tell them a parable. A parable is an, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The people around Jesus thought that he was going to go to Jerusalem and have himself installed as a king. But Jesus knew that he was on his way to give up his own life. He wasn't going to stage an insurrection. He was going to suffer a crucifixion. And Jesus wanted to teach them in a way that would help them understand what the mission of God actually is for them. And he says this parable. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king and then to return. Now, this was a normal occurrence in this day. In fact, um, if you wanted to become a king in, in, in Roman Empire, you had to go to Rome and talk to somebody up in the organization, and then they would give you papers that were your right to rule over a city. We know from historical accounts that a man named uh, Herod uh, Archelaus uh, had just recently, before Jesus gave this teaching, had recently gone to Rome to seek leadership over the province of Judea, where Jesus was teaching in, where Jerusalem was, and the people of Judea and Jerusalem did not like Herod Archelaus at all. They actually sent with him a delegation from Jerusalem that actively opposed him. Rome didn't care. They installed Herod Archelaus anyway because this was not a democracy. And as Herod Archelaus came back to Judea, he did away with all of his enemies. When Jesus talks about this story, this is very fresh in the people's mind of that day. They kind of knew who he was talking about and what he was talking about. Jesus has situated this whole entire story around the concept of power. 
And look at the power that he puts into view for us. Verse 13 says this. So the master called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. A mina is a, a, about you know, three to four months worth of wages. Back in the day, it was like what we would encourage a young man who was madly in love with a girl to spend on a wedding ring. If your husband didn't spend that on you, he's got some work to do, okay, ladies? Just nudge him right now. Maybe he did more. I don't know. And here's what he said. Here, here's a mina. He gave each one of them, each 10 of them, he gave out 10 minas. He gave each one one. He said, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Verse 14 explains the prior thing, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. We'll, we'll pause right here in the reading of this story. I just want to make a couple observations about the economy of power, the economy that Jesus is pointing out here. On the surface, this story is really simple. A master leaves his estate in the hands of the servants for a while, and they did business with his money. Two got more. One just returned what he was given. There's always more going on than what meets the eye in Jesus' stories, though. If you've ever followed Jesus for a little bit, you kind of see he's got layers to everything that we understand. And the reason that Jesus tells this story is because people thought that he was about to claim power for himself in a real sense to become the king of Jerusalem. Even today, if you find a rising star in politics, you try and attach yourself to him because their power often becomes your power. It was good in their interest for them to see him succeed. But Jesus tells a story because he doesn't want people to think that his power is just oppressive and here on earth, that he's got a bigger power. He tells a story because he himself is about to go and receive a kingdom from a faraway place. And he wants his followers to have a pattern for how they should live and what they should do when he, the master, is absent. The people around Jesus didn't know he was heading to the crucifixion. They thought they were going to get a throne. So Jesus tells this story about power and resources to help them see the world's economy won't work in his kingdom. See, the master had the power to instruct the servants to invest his money for him because it all belonged to him. And Jesus is teaching us what his first lesson about the kingdom of God and the economy of God is that in God's economy... Everything we possess belongs to him. That is a very different message than what you and I experience living here in Johnson County or in America or in the Western Hemisphere. A very different uh, type of approach to finances for us. 
But uh, Jesus clearly tells his servants during his absence there to take his resources and make the most out of him. He gives to them what he has so they can make more of it for him. But they don't get to keep it. It's all his. They have to give it back. There's a word for this. The word is called stewardship. A stewardship, uh, it takes possession of a resource with the requirement of treating it like it's yours. But the reality is, is that it belongs to someone else. This is not really um, how we do business here today, is it? Um, if you do business out in the community, you give money to people so that you get better service. I even tipped the people the other day at Crumble Cookie because I thought I'd get, make the cookies taste better. That's kind of where we're at as society. We're giving more money away because we want better service. If you are trying to um, grow your, your retirement accounts, you could try and do it all on your own, but more often than not, we take our finances and we try and invest them in the future so that we can be good stewards of the resources that we have. But you don't ask your Edward Jones or creative planning or whoever it is that you invest your money with, you don't ask them to give you everything back that they got to do the work for you and they get nothing, do you? No, you walk into their place and you say this, you say, I would like to retire someday and I have kids, but I don't trust them. That is actually what you're saying when you go into that place. You're like, my kids, they're, God bless them, but no. <laughs> but you, you kind of know what you're doing. And I would be happy to give you my money. And let's talk about your fees. Are they reasonable? Are they good? Is this a C share? Is this an A share? What do I do with you? And you, you negotiate on the front end what the fees are going to be. And you, you come to terms with people. And you work out this arrangement where they take care of your money. And they get a cut. Isn't that normal? Everybody say that's normal? Yeah, if you've got a better situation, let me know. Because I'll take it. All right. And the same exact thing was true of Jesus' day. When people would make these contracts, they would negotiate the terms of the contracts prior to them actually executing. So what Jesus should have said, what, what the, the, the hearers of this day would have expected to hear is that a, a master went to a far place to receive a kingdom and he gave uh, his stewards in charge of his own estate power to use his money for what they would see in their best interest to expand his money. And he would have said to them, here is a mina. I want you to take half of it save it. And then the other half, I want you to try and double. And whatever you can increase, I will give you 10% of the increase. That's what they expected to hear. But Jesus puts in the mouth of the master this one very simple statement. All the master says is this. He says, I have given you a mina. Put this money to work. Jesus is telling a story, but he's also describing to his followers their lives in him, that he owns everything. He's about to die, he's about to come back to life, and he's going to ascend into heaven, the far place from which he's going to receive his kingdom. And after some time, he will come back. In the meantime, his followers ought to consider what they have as belonging completely to him. I've often thought of Jesus' last words to his disciples before he went up to heaven. Found in Matthew chapter 28. Some churches get really excited on the whole make disciples thing, but before he says that, he says this really ominous phrase. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
In this series that we're talking about habits that invite purpose and power into our lives, we've been talking about these being small acts that ignite remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus, that he has all authority in his life. As a part of his resurrection reality, Jesus lays claim to every ounce of the world. There is not one speck of earth that Jesus' eyes don't fall on where he does not claim it is his. And that includes everything that you and I possess. That means that I'm at his disposal. I'm a steward. Everything I have is his. I possess his stuff, but I own none of it. So the question, what do you have? Well, Jesus tells us, I have God's stuff. Our breath is borrowed from that moment God loaned it to us in the garden. Later in the New Testament, it tells us to make the most of our time. Your relationships and your skills, all of them are bestowed upon us for the blessing of other people and the maximizing of God's purposes. You see, the reason I said this is not a story about money is because it's about money and a whole lot more. (laughs) It's about our entire lives. Everything we have belongs to God. And this leads us to a second surprise of God's economy. Maybe you were surprised to find out that God thinks that he owns everything that you have. But if you think that, you might expect God has claim to our whole lives and he's going to restrict what you do with it. But looking at Jesus' teaching, we see that in God's economy, you and I, we are free to manage his stuff as we see fit. Isn't that a little surprising? In God's economy, you and I are, are free to do with his stuff what we want. That's ridiculous to me. That is an, an absurd concept. There's one rule from the master. Make it work. I s- promised the 9 o'clock service I wouldn't out myself, but it's too good not to share. Uh, you know, uh, y'all, y'all watched Project Runway back in like their mid-2000s, right? Do you remember Tim Gunn used to have this phrase that he would say to all the designers when they're in a crisis mode? He would go, make it work, designers. He'd storm out of the room. In some sense, the make it work moment for us is happening right now. Jesus has left this earth and he's left us in charge of his stuff. And he's left us with one instruction. Make it work. Put this money to work. So we ask the question, what do I have? And how can I figure out a way to make this work to make it more? It's incredibly open-ended. The steward gets to control all of the resources. You know, it's always made me a little uncomfortable. It's always blown my mind to think of the moment that Jesus looked at his first disciples after he rose from the dead and he said, I'm gonna leave. You guys get to do the fun stuff now. Take my power and take my spirit. Proclaim my presence. Bring people into the kingdom. I'll see you soon. Just take what I've given you. You have what you need. Make it work as you see fit. Isn't this a little uncomfortable for some of us that like, I don't know how to do the raise from the dead thing, right? I don't know how to pull a coin out of a fish's mouth or what side of the boat I should put my nets on. If I was Peter, James, John, the men and women around Jesus when he said this, I probably would have been like, do you have to go? Can't you find somebody else to go get it for you and bring it back to you like, a, you know, an errand boy to heaven? Can't you stay with us because we kind of need you, Jesus? But Jesus left and he left us in control. 
to do with his kingdom right now what we would see fit. So um, what I love about this, this open-handed invitation of God is that he never forces me into submission. God calls me and he says to me, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to put you in control of some stuff. Whatever you see with the things that you have around you, maximize it so that I can return something on my investment. God lets me discover his goodness step by step. So um, when I use my home for hospitality, I'm investing in kingdom principles. I'm blessing other people, but I myself am blessed. I know this to be true. Chris and I have been hosting people since like, I don't know, October. We've had house guests in our home almost on a weekly basis, friends of ours from out of town, a lot of family. It was not my idea. And, um, and help. <laughs> we just actually, I'm, I'm joking. We had some friends in town this past couple of days. Uh, they just left last night from the airport. And we invited them, their one-year-old, some good friends of ours back from Chicago to just spend time with us and share with them. And um, many of you gave us toys for a one-year-old because we don't have a one-year-old anymore. And you blessed them through us. And you took what you had and you made it work on our behalf. But I, I just remember dropping them off at the airport and looking at them and saying, man, we are filled up with the goodness of God in our lives right now because we got to spend time with you. We opened up our home and said, you get this whole entire level of our house is yours. We'll stay out of it. This is yours. This is your place. Once you feel comfortable, this is for you. And I've got a really big TV downstairs and there were a couple good football games on yesterday and I just had to say, nope, that's not my space because I want to give with no strings attached. And our friends told us on the way back, they said, you know, we just needed a time like this where we didn't have to be in the pressures of what we're in and just to hang out with people who we trust and we just want to say thanks for blessing us. It's moments like that where you see what you have to offer. Maybe it feels small to you. Maybe it's not, you know, 70 years worth of salary, but it's just a couple of weeks of salary. What do you have that you could put it to work when you use your knowledge, your expertise for enriching other people's lives, there's an increase in what God's given you. When you use your business to bless the community, you're investing in Jesus' interest. But here's the crazy thing is that he leaves it up to us. And that's an incredible freedom, but it's also the entire test. Because the master comes back as a king. And here's the last thing. When the master comes back, we each will report back and we will be rewarded on the increase. This is what Jesus is teaching us. The main lesson of what he's got for us today, not only is it all his, not only do we have tremendous freedom to do with his stuff, whatever we want to increase it, but someday we'll have to tell him, here's what we did with it, and he will reward us on the increase. And doesn't this sound to you who have been in church your whole entire life and heard about the judgment of God, doesn't this sound terrifying? It, it terrifies me. But if you've ever had a, a season at work where you've crushed your goals, you know how excited you are to have your annual review, aren't you? Where, where you get to go into your boss's office and say, now listen, you entrusted me with a $7 million project and I did it in $6 million and I brought you in $14 million. And so this year, my contribution to the company actually increased your profit line X amount of dollars. You were like chomping at the bit to be able to share with the people above you how great you would handle their money. 
And this is the experience for two of these servants. The, the master comes back and they're like, I did my best. I hope he's happy. Here's the day of, of reckoning. And, and, the, and the, the master calls everybody together. And he asks them this question, what do you have? The servant reveals, the first one says, um, master, I, I've got 10 more. Um, you gave me one, I got 10 now. So um, here you go, here's 11 minus back. And you can hear the, te- the, the delight in the king's exclamation, well done, I'll give you 10 cities in my kingdom. How many people are surprised that this person gets a city, or let alone 10? Now, in our world, you do well with money, you get more money. You do well with a football team in high school, you get a football team in college, you do well with that, you get a football team in the NFL. You do bad with the NFL team, you go back to college, or you become the Chiefs quarterback coach, like our last Chicago Bears coach, but that's another thing. Love the Nagy's. Um, how did I get there? You get more of the same. But Jesus says, you invest the little that you have in one way, and God will explode upon you with generosity in a way you didn't expect. The master says, you did well with my money. Now here's 10 cities for you to rule over. You've obviously used my money to build relationships and to help move people and to enrich other people's lives. You'll do great orchestrating the administration of a city, let alone 10. Come rule and reign and share in my glory with me. Do you see how different that is than just saying, good job, you made more money? The surprise of all surprises is that when we handle the master's money well, he gives us a greater blessing than we imagined. I imagine the one that increased theirs to five probably started this conversation looking at the one who made 10 and felt like, oh, shoot, I didn't do as much as that guy. But he hears the commendation, and with gladness, he says, well, I've got five. And the king also says, well, you take five cities. And then it moves to the third. You kind of hear the soundtrack of like a dun-dun-dun in your mind as you read this story. The king asks, what do you have? And the servant replies, like this, all that I have is the thing that you gave me in the first place. I was afraid to lose it because um, your highness, um, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, this might be a blind spot in your leadership, but maybe now's a good time for me to bring this up. You've got a little bit of a reputation around the office. You're not the nicest person to most people. You act like you own the place. You um, are always claiming credit for other people's ideas. And it just doesn't seem fair to me that you would expect me to maximize your profit when you yourself are not the most ethical of people. So, in fact, what I have is what I think you deserve, what you gave me. Needless to say, the king is not delighted. He's disgusted. The servant had his resources at their disposal, and they hid his power in the bin with all the rags, in a place where it wouldn't do any good to anyone. The servant had just gone ahead and maybe even worse, lived their life as if the king hadn't given them any power in the first place. All the more, when called to account, the servant gives excuses. Did you see it? 
The servant, maybe you think this is what millennials are like, me being included, where they're all like, well, passing the buck. Well, it's your fault that I'm not doing this thing. Because of the way that you walk around this place, because of the way that you handle, maybe if you were more accommodating of more people, I would have done, have been inspired. You didn't help me be motivated. I don't like you. So I did nothing for you except keep your precious little mina safe. Because this king felt disgusted that this person didn't even try, they didn't even think of the king, they wasted his time and his work and opportunity, the king at the end of the story strips him of his wealth and he gives his mina to the one who made 10 more. So here, here's the lesson. All that you and I have in this life belongs to God, who asks us to use his resources and his power that are at our disposal to bring an increase in our lives. And he will reward beyond our greatest imagination those who risk it all for his sake. But for those of us who just sleep on his power, we will be brought to ruin. Now, um, this is a series on habits. And you might be thinking to yourself, Dan, this seems a little bit less like a habit, more like a perspective change, more like a philosophy. What, are, what is the habit in our life that we have to do? And, and I want to suggest to all of us here at the beginning of a year that there's a habit that Jesus is calling out for us in stewardship, a habit that will actually transform our life if we do this one thing. And, and um, maybe you expect that the habit that I'm going to tell you to do is to like give money away or, or, or to, to give money to a church. I'm not telling you to do that today. I've got one very simple low bar threshold for us today. I think Jesus is asking us to ask this question, what do I have? That's the habit. A steward is someone who constantly reflects upon the status of what they have. I wonder what it would be like in your life if you constantly evaluated what you possess just took time on a consistent basis. I don't know what that is for you. For, for me and my wife, it tends to be about a weekly or semi-weekly basis. But for you, I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a more frequent thing. When we ask, leave this question up here. When we, when we ask this question, what do I have? It gives us space to reflect and to be able to give the one right answer to this question because there is one right answer to this question given to us by Jesus. When we take time and pause and open up our hands and say, God, what do I have? It allows us to say back to him, I have what you've given to me. That daily practice for all of us could change our entire lives. If we just took a moment every single day to say, God, what do I have? I have what you've given to me. I told you guys about my um, car that I bought that was really embarrassing and it had a bad engine and I found that out like weeks afterwards and I couldn't do anything about it. I remember asking this question of God, God, why, did, why am I in this situation? Why am I so car poor in this moment? I remember saying, God, what do I have? I've got a car that's going to die, but it's your car that's gonna die. Amen? It changed the situation for me from one of despair to one of a lesson 
of like, God, I know you want me to use this. I know there's going to be something in this. I just have to wait to figure it out. I'm going to apply myself to make this thing work in the literal sense. But right now, God, I see this because what I have right now is a lead, dead weight. But it's yours. And I wonder what's going to happen when you ask this question. You might be attuned to new relationships or new experiences or new opportunities that maybe you haven't realized are potential ways for you to invest in the kingdom of God. Maybe for most of us, we've thought about what we have in terms of our finances or, or, or our net worth. But God has richly blessed each and every one of us who call on the name of Jesus for our salvation. He's given us the power of the gospel. This power that changes our lives, that gives us a new start, a new attitude, new ambitions, that we can go through this life and say, God, I don't have much, but I got your love. I've got your mercy. I've got your desire for reconciliation. I've got your forgiveness. I've got your grace. I've got your spirit and your word and your people. I've got so many blessings in my life, God, because most of all, I've got you. And how we handle God's stuff ultimately tells us how we think about him. We can either lean into the fact that he's the giver of things for us to steward, or we can resent him for the fact that he thinks he has laid claim to any of it at all. I think this habit of asking the question, what do I have, could absolutely put us in a posture on a daily basis of recognizing everything in our life is God's. But there's a more practical way to ask this question too. I think the real habit for us comes down to this one question, what do I have? And to answer it very specifically with a definite dollar sign and numbers. I read this week that a study in uh, December of 2022 revealed that 55% of Americans don't check their bank accounts out of fear for what they're going to find. Which means that over half of this room right now has no idea what the answer to that question, what do you have, actually is. There's a tremendous privilege in that, isn't there? For us to have so much, we don't even have to worry about it. For us to have so much that we can go on our lives not even wondering what God's given us. I would encourage us to log in and check what you have. Now, good news there is no ATM leaderboard. That is an art installation, the jokes on those people who put their thing in. But, but, but no one's going to be looking over your shoulder going, hey, what do you got? But it's critical for a steward to know what they have in a definite sense so they know what they can grow. Everyone who, who's trying to help people lose weight or coach good health habits is going to start a new person on a diet, but they're also going to say step one of figuring out how to lose weight is to first figure out where you are right now. So you step on a scale. That's the first step to making change is to get on a scale. I, I've been doing this lately because it's January. That's the only reason. And uh, I don't have tremendous fitness goals. I'm not in that moment right now. Maybe later in my life I'll get jacked. If you can help me, that'd be great. Uh, but, but right now I'm just like, I want to know. And even me, kind of ambivalent about where I'm at, stepped on the scale this morning a little apprehensive about what I was going to find because I had some Oreos yesterday. Okay, guys, I did. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I had like five. They're delicious. And I, I stepped on the scale and I remember thinking like, oh gosh, please be, be, please be less. I think a lot of us don't know what we have because we're a little afraid of what it's going to show. 
And for those of us in the room who are thinking like that, I want you to hear this message today as the starting point of stewardship. That this year for you could be the habit-forming year where you actually take seriously the fact that everything God has given you is, is, is his. And he wants you to know what you have so that you can grow it for his purpose. Only when you know what you have can you make it work for the kingdom of God. Here's what, how I want us to close here um, in a second. I, I want to just share a quick illustration of what all of us have seen in this sort of Luke 19 parable type of way, the Jesus economy at work right here under our nose. Um, in November, we launched a, a short eight-week project called Stronger Together. Um, everybody's heard Stronger Together. I'm sure that was a big deal that we had. And um, it, what, what it was was a, a, a real wonderful Luke 19 parallel. If you missed the backstory, a family here at Heartland had some business success. I don't know if they expected this business success. I don't know if it just happened to them. I don't, I don't know. But, but what I know is that they saw this business success as an increase, as a gift from God. They had a Luke 19 servant stewardship attitude that says God has blessed us and he's given us a challenge to make this work. And so um, they wanted to put it to work in God's kingdom. So in their own way, they approached our lead team with an idea. They said, we would like to offer the church a chance to double their giving by us offering a $200,000 matching gift. That way the gift was doubled and the church's gift could be doubled. And they figured out how to turn one mina into two. Do you see it? They, they figured out how to go from one to two. Now, um, if I can be completely honest with you, it would have been incredible had they just given the money, right? Yes, am I the only one? It would have just been incredible. That's a check I can't write. That's just an incredible blessing. That's incredible faith in God in and of itself. But being people that want to see their gifts maximized to the power of God did not sleep on the opportunity to try and grow it even more. If they had done that, we would have missed out on the principles of Jesus that have been playing out right in front of us. So for a few weeks, we encouraged families here to give a special above and beyond gift. And, and even Kristen and I had, had a, a joyful opportunity to participate in this and see our money maximized and multiplied as we gave back to the work God's doing here. And, um, and, and I've got the final results of Stronger Together. They just got com computed this week and put in the mail and all that stuff. Do you want to know what we ended up with in Stronger Together? Yeah. Okay. Um, can we do a drum roll? All of us are the drum roll. Can we do a drum roll, please? Right, right. Okay, so uh, if you take $200,000, double it, that's there. We brought in, <clears throat> can you see it? $200,074. Isn't that amazing? We heard that number this week as a lead team, and I instantly thought of the verse that I preached on last, last week. To him who is able to give you immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. I thought to myself, I never would have asked for $74. <laughs> never, like that's just like God to be like, hey, I got what you need if you ask, right? I mean, isn't that amazing? Heartland, thank you for your generosity and for partnering. And I'd love to just say thanks together right here, right now with a round of applause. I think that's just incredible, <laughs> incredible thing. Obviously, uh, when you... 
add the $200,000 to it. It puts us over our goal by $74. And, and that's really amazing. I had somebody in the lobby come up to me after the first service and say, hey, um, you know how you talk to us about multiplying your gifts? Well, I kind of feel like God has some specific thing he wants to do with that 74 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, tell me more. And he said, I don't know. It's up to you to figure out because we gave it to you. And I said, okay, we're going to figure this out, how to take that $74, put it to work in our communities, and show you by the end of the year what that $74, I mean, you're going to see all of this stuff at work, but, but the 74 extra, what did that do? I just love that perspective of wanting to make it work for Jesus. Now, this is incredible, right? This is a, a, a doubling of their investment. Here's the number that I think really impresses me, that the thing that God did through this one husband and wife who are heartlanders who love Jesus and love this church is that they saw an opportunity for they themselves to give, and they gave in a way that other people could double their impact. But by offering this gift, they took two givers and they exponentially increased the amount of givers. We had this many people. We had 194 people give gifts to Stronger Together, which is absolutely incredible. This number probably represents families and couples and some singles. And we want you to know, on average, this is probably like 350 extra people who gave. Think about that. From two people to including 350, 400 people is a multiplicative event that Jesus shows us great things happen when we try and put his resources to work. And I am more than excited about the fact that God's met our needs, but I'm so excited about the fact that he's used so many people to do it. And this is what it looks like for us as a church. I think this is what it, it looks like. We as a leadership team here at Heartland feel the responsibility to steward this money. And as we ask this question of ourselves, what do we have? We are prayerful and looking for every opportunity for us to exploit this money to the, to the fame of Jesus, for the glory of his people, for the care of his saints, for the, 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 the glory of Christ in the church, for the increase of his kingdom. Because we pass our stewardships along from one person to another. I want to end this way and just say there's no ATM leaderboard in Jesus' economy. There's just you and me. I'm responsible for what I'm responsible for. You're responsible for what you're responsible for. But together we all ask, what do I have? We find out that we own less than we thought, but we possess more than we think. If only we can put it to work for our king. So this is the challenge. This is the habit. Can you regularly ask God, what do I have? Open your accounts. Audit yourself through the eyes of your master. Would he see that you're doing good work with what he's given you? Would he see that you're using your whole life to honor him? And if you're not, it's not too late. We don't want to bury our treasure and miss the relationship with God. We want to delight to take risks for him. God, we give you all that we are, all that we have, because you've given it to us. And we take this moment right here to recognize that you're good. You're a good king. You've given us an opportunity. You've given us everything we need. And so as we go, God, all of us feel the little that you've given us. Thank you for the power that it takes to make it a lot. Help us to maximize Jesus in this life. Help us to not cling to things that we can only lose. Help us to cling to the one who's never left us. We love you. 
It's your name we pray. Amen.